Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerville, a church situated in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that it will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. Good stuff. Salvation Defined. That's the title of the message this morning. And we're busy with our series, and we'll probably have one more um, one more week of this specific series, um, Unbroken Intimacy, and then we'll get into uh, another series. But this morning, we're going to look at salvation defined, and we can open up in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Okay, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, from the Passion, it says, There's no one else who has the power to save us, for there's only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus. It's not just the name of Jesus, it's more than that. Like we've heard through, I think, uh, one of the testimonies shared that there's a lot of people knowing about Jesus, but it's not enough knowing about Jesus. It's the gospel of Christ, specifically God's plan of redemption that brings about salvation, that brings about transformation. And so it's not just good enough to know about Jesus. There's a scripture in James that says, even the demons know who Jesus is. So let's be better than demons. Amen. The demons know who Jesus is. It's not good enough to just know who Jesus is. It's to know him personally, know him as Lord over your life. And so that is the name of, of Jesus. And it's not, like I said, just the name, but it's what does the name Jesus mean? Not in a sense defining Jesus by his name, but the message of Christ. Because Jesus came with the message. He came with a purpose. He came with a plan. And that has been God's plan from the beginning of time. And we've been looking at that throughout the the past weeks, it's God's spirit living in man. Let's go to John 3, verse 16 to 17. Now, I know some of you are already offended because I'm going to John 3, 16 and 17. No, I'm joking. Um, but if you are offended because we're going to John 3, 16 and you, you know it so well already and that uh, you've graduated from John 3, 16, I'd encourage you to, to, to humble yourself under God's word so that you can be exalted. Maybe that's why you're living below the standard of what Christ came to do for you. Because you're living in pride. A good word is a challenging word. So that means that you might hear some challenging things this morning from the word. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing from the word because the word says that God resists the proud. But he gives more grace to the humble. Now it doesn't mean that God is out and about seeking to resist you if you are pride. No, but God's, God's order God's desire, God's plans have already been spoken into motion. For example, gravity exists, whether you believe in gravity or not. God created gravity at the beginning of time. And in the same way, God created and ordered things in such a way that if you're going to be prideful, you're going to be resisted. If you're going to jump off a building, you're going to fall. So it's not like God is out and about looking for people wanting to jump off a building, seeing how gravity can affect them. No, it's been set in motion already. So all we need to do is to come in alignment with God's order, God's creation, God's plan, and we're going to walk in fruitfulness. And that one of the key things for us to enjoy more fruitfulness, it's to come and humble ourselves under God's word. And so let's be humble about going into God's word, even if it's scriptures that we've heard for hundreds and hundreds of times before. Let's open up our hearts and allow the word to impact us the way that the Holy Spirit wants it to impact us this morning. Amen. So John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believes in him, highlight believe, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Highlight everlasting life. Then verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we're looking at redefining and defining the word salvation. What is salvation? What does it mean? Firstly, in John 3, 16 and 17, we see that there needs to be a believing. And then that believing leads to everlasting life. Or as it says in verse 17, so that those might be saved. So salvation and everlasting life is the same thing. Being saved means to enjoy everlasting or eternal life. Now, what is everlasting life? What is eternal life? I'm going to ask a bunch of questions because oftentimes we get so caught up in Christian lingo that we never ask the question, but what does that mean? Amen, for example. How many of you know, let's be honest, and I'm not testing you like I've, I forgot about it and then I've kind of rediscovered and now I'm sure what it means. Who of you don't know what amen means? The word amen. Cool, I see a few honest, honest people here. For those who are shy and you don't know what amen means, amen is to, while we say amen at the, at the end of our prayers, it's, it's true, like you, you're speaking a word of like, let it be so. Let this be true. Now, some of you learned something this morning. That's amazing, right? So that's what the word means. Now, oftentimes in Christian circles, we talk so much about specific words that we never actually stop to think about what does that actually mean? And that's the problem with religion. That's the problem with the body of Christ in a larger sense, almost molded to a sense to never think for ourselves as Christians. That's why the, the, the Reformation happened and was birthed from this point of view that God's word is for everyone. God desires for everyone to know his word personally and individually. It's not about one person only having the, the, the knowledge about the interpretation of the word and that one person has to give the interpretation to everyone else and everyone else just needs to say, oh, okay, yeah, amen, or yes, like surely it's the truth because so-and-so said it. No, we want to discover and study the word for ourselves because God's desire for us is to each come to know him personally and intimately. So what is eternal life? What is everlasting life? John 17 verse 3 gives us a good explanation, a good definition of this. Jesus saying, eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you have sent. Eternal life is not, salvation is not, everlasting life is not about a set of rules that we need to do. It's not about going to church. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about being a better person. It's about knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ. That is what eternal life and salvation is about. It's talking about intimacy. The whole series is about unbroken intimacy and intimacy that God desires for us to enjoy. And one of the words that was given this morning by God will, with regards to the map and your, your perspective of it changes the, uh, the, depending on what you're focusing on, on or, or how you're looking at it, the angle that you're looking at it from. But the map doesn't change. The actual earth doesn't change. God is not changing. but the view or the, the lenses that we're looking at God from, the, 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 the glasses that we are putting on our eyes to look at God from is going to determine how we view God and how we're experiencing God. And that's why it's so important to, to study the word. We're not just reading the word. We're not just reading things and taking it as, 
Okay, cool. Let's say amen at the end of our prayers. No, why do we say amen? What does it mean? What does eternal life really mean? What was God's desire for us to enjoy and experience Him, Jesus Christ? Now it says you're coming to know you is the only true God and to experience Jesus Christ. The only way to experience Jesus Christ and to enjoy intimacy with God Almighty is if we become holy. If we become righteous as He is righteous. That's the only way. And some of you are thinking here this morning, oh man, that disqualifies me. Well, I've got good news for you. You are qualified. Why are you qualified? Let's get into the word. Romans 3 verse 21 to 24. Religion again put so many boundaries between us and God. It put so many obstacles between us and God. Having to jump through this hoop, that hoop. I need to do this. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to do all of this so that I can be holy. You could never make yourself holy enough for you to be able to stand in God's presence. No man could, by their own works or performance, stand in God's presence without any feeling of shame or inferiority. But praise God, Jesus. Amen. Romans 3 verse 21 to 24. When I say amen, I'm, I'm kind of asking you to respond by also saying amen, meaning we agree. Truth, Etienne. Amen? Good stuff. Romans 3, 21 to 24, it says, But now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is awesome how the passion defines it. It says, it's being brought to light, meaning that it was always there. It was just not seen always. So it's being brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures what does scriptures mean? I'm going to say this because some of you haven't heard this before. Scriptures means Genesis to Malachi. The, the books in the Bible from Genesis to Malachi up until the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is what the scriptures mean when we see the word scriptures in the New Testament or in the Gospels or in the epistles. It says, this is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It's amazing. The old Genesis to Malachi were prophecies talking about what is coming. Prophecies talking about what is God's desire, what is his intent, and what is coming. Okay? And then it says, it is God's righteousness made visible, again, made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So it's made visible. It's not making something appear that was not there. It's making visible what was already there, what was already part of God's plan, part of his design. He was already set in motion from the beginning of time. We looked at this last week. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve and when they stepped into the fall of man and rebellion against God, God was not caught off guard. His plan was set in motion from the beginning of time. And that, some of you might be thinking, ah, oh, but... But why, why did God do this or that or next thing? Again, your focus is wrong. You can ask that question, but you can also look at, man, God knew that they were going to mess things up, yet he still gave them the option. That is radical love. Knowing that someone is going to mess up, you still give them the option, the choice to choose. That is unconditional love. That is radical love that we often as human beings don't get to understand. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. So believing 
brings in receiving. For there's in no, or there is really no difference between us. For all have sinned. Say all have sinned. And all and are, 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 all have sinned and all are in need of the glory of God. Now the glory of God is not something mystical. It's not something kind of that you see on some of these uh, old school uh, television like ministries. Power. And it's like <laughs> all of these like strange things. The glory of God is the presence of God. What is the presence of God today? It's the spirit of God in man. Christianity is super, super simple. Yet powerfully profound. If the gospel you're hearing is complicated, you're not hearing the gospel. If the preaching you're hearing is complicated, you need to ask the preacher to simplify things because if it's complicated the preacher or the communicator doesn't really understand it right if you have to you have to ask yourself the question if you'd have to share the gospel to a five-year-old a six-year-old would you be able to do that ask yourself that question i'm asking you this morning i'm not just kind of rhetorically asking you a question i'm asking you so that you can ask yourself and so that you can be prepared because the scripture also says that we need to be prepared to give an answer of the hope that we've got when someone asks us. Now, why are we not prepared when that is what the word is encouraging us to be? A good word is a challenging word. And so when we come together for church and gatherings like this, whether it's a Sunday gathering, whether it's life group, whether it's any of our fellowships, the purpose is always community. But it's community on mission. It's not just community. I heard an awesome uh, quotation this past week. It says, community without mission is like cancer. It's growth without purpose. Community without mission is like cancer. It's growth without purpose. We need to ask ourselves, am I a partaker of the mission or am I just enjoying a holy idol? Then you're partaking of a cancerous thing. Now praise God for Romans 8 verse 1, which says that there is therefore no condemnation. You don't need to feel condemned this morning. But I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something inside of you, stirring and making something come alive inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit that is called to bring forth and gush forth living water. Because for a lot of us, the Holy Spirit has become a dormant, puddle and he was created to be streams of living water amen so i'm activating what's inside of us so that we can go out into the world and give them what they need amen which is jesus the spirit of god in man verse 24 yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal god freely gives away his righteousness man that is awesome a scripture that's probably never been read in any religious church God freely gives away his righteousness. He gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Salvation at its simplest form is God's spirit living in man. Eternal life can be enjoyed only through the spirit of living in man. 
And that's why we need to redefine and be sure that salvation is this. God's plan of redemption to come and take away the problem of sin, unholiness, and give man an option to receive his holiness, his righteousness. Every person on the face of the earth needs to hear this message, needs to understand that this is the gospel. This is the plan of God. It's not just good enough to know about Jesus that walked the earth, that there's amazing things. There's a lot of groups, a lot of religious groups, a lot of faiths out there. I'm not going to use any examples that believe in Jesus. Some believe that he was a prophet. Some believe that he was an amazing guy that did healings, miracles, that, that treated people better than they deserve. He was more than that. He was the son of God that came to fulfill a purpose. That purpose was to die, make a way for man to be redeemed and have God's spirit living in man. So that we can not just only enjoy intimacy with God, but so that we can live transformed lives and impact the world around us with the love of Christ and his power in manifestation. Eternal life, like I said, is God's spirit living in man. And we also see this from the beginning of time when God created the garden and he put the tree of life in the garden. God's desire for us for Adam and Eve was to eat of that tree, the tree of life, which is God's spirit living in man. Now, side note, the only way that you can live for eternity, enjoy eternal life, enjoy everlasting life, the only way to enjoy everlasting life, meaning life after death even, more specifically as Jesus defined Life with God right now on earth, intimacy with him, but also from death to enjoy everlasting eternal life. The only way for that to be a, a reality for you is for God's spirit to live in you. Now, if you don't have God's spirit live in you, the opposite is true. You will not live on for eternity. You can think about that statement if you're confused about it. Or if you're connecting the dots, then please come and chat to me afterwards. Everything we see in the Bible points to God's dream. Oneness with mankind. Oneness with mankind and his spirit living in us. Let's go to, we see this in Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17 verse 11, it says, and this is the amazing thing about the Bible. It's not, it's not a bunch of, Different messages. It is one message over and over again. Repeated, repeated, repeated. Repetition is needed for us to remember something. To take something to heart. And that's why God is a God of repetition. Continually speaking the same message over and over and over and over again. For the life of the body is in the blood. I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. Say right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for life that makes purification possible. So blood given, blood spilled equals life. Right? We see this in Leviticus. And this was in regards to the animal sacrifices. And then when John, in John chapter 1 verse 29, sees Jesus coming, he speaks forth what the scriptures talked about. He speaks forth about this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
the Lamb of God talking about the sacrificial system and he's there taking away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Now this was a hard saying for people to understand. Jesus as a man telling his disciples, telling his followers, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I am life itself. People didn't understand that because they looked at the sacrificial system and they saw animal sacrifices, blood being spilled, was their right standing with God, was their way to enjoy life in a sense. So people didn't understand this. And then Jesus made it more complicated for people in John chapter 6, verse 53. And I say more complicated, not that he tried to be complicated, but he, but remember when we see the gospels and all of the letters, all of the epistles, their textbook was the scriptures. So they, they knew the scriptures and then they expounded from the scriptures, the reality of what's taking place in the gospels. And then from the epistles after Pentecost, they're talking about the reality of what God designed and made available through Jesus' death, resurrection, and outpouring of his spirit. So we need to understand that the scriptures or the, 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 the words that we're reading will only be complicated if we don't understand what the intended message is from the beginning of time. If you go to the word and you open it up and you're like, man, I just want a word on how I'm going to be a successful businessman. Now you can go to Proverbs and there's amazing like references to, to, to hard work and things like that. But ultimately, an unbeliever can go to Proverbs. And they can get amazing advice on business. The purpose of Proverbs, the purpose of the Bible was to point to Christ, the Spirit of God, Him becoming our wisdom so that we can be fruitful in all areas of our lives. So if we understand the essence, the message of the Bible, which is the gospel of Christ, which was preached to Moses, to Abraham. All of the guys of old heard about the gospel. And Abraham looked forward to a promise and he believed without ever seeing it come to pass, come to fruition. So Abraham himself heard about the gospel. Like I said, Adam and Eve got an opportunity to receive life, eat of the tree of life. Have God's spirit live in them. Back to John 6, verse 53. So it's not all that complicated if you understand what we're looking for. Look for Jesus. Look for the promise of God. Jesus, his spirit living in man when you go to the Bible, when you go to study the word. John 6, 53 to 56. Jesus replied to them, listen to this eternal truth. Unless you eat the body of the son of man and drink his blood, you will not have eternal life. Eternal life comes to the one who eats my body and drinks my blood. And I will raise him up in the last day. For my body is real food for your spirit and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. Let's pause there for a moment. Why Jesus is not advocating is cannibalism. It's important to say that because... The believers in that time or the disciples, the followers of Jesus thought that that was what he was talking about. Who's this guy now he's talking about cannibalism? Like for one moment he's, he's raising, raising uh, people from the dead. The next moment he's, he's asking people to eat of himself. So he's not talking about cannibalism. Let's read on verse 57 from the New Living. And it says, 
So we're talking about life. We're seeing, we're seeing Jesus talking about his body and his blood, right? His body and his blood. Take reference. We, we, we've laid a foundation. I'm building towards a point where we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about the blood that is shed from the animal sacrifices and that in Christ there is life. John 6, 57 says, I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think of you? Or what will you think if you see the son of man ascend to heaven? The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, what is Jesus saying in all of this? Again, I made the statement that everything in the Bible, everything in the scriptures, in the old, everything in the gospels was pointing to one historic event. Now, within that one historic event, if we're calling it uh, the, the, the crucifixion, that one historic event, the crucifixion had a purpose. Jesus wasn't just called to die and be raised from the dead. Amen. There was more to it. Pentecost. Because before Pentecost, God's dream hasn't become a reality yet. Because only at Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out and that man could receive that which God desired from the beginning of time. So everything in the Bible, yes, there's a building up of, but then there comes a reality that we now call to live in. Paul writes about this in, in Colossians and he says that, verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or on the new moon, or on Sabbath days, which are shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. The New Living Translation says that these things are only a shadow of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Question. Do I have a shadow here in front? Yeah, I've got a shadow. <laughs> no one, no one in the, like, no one physically following me being my shadow metaphorically speaking but uh, i've got a shadow here and when i'm walking out then you can see my shadow more effectively in the sun you're not going to go talk to my shadow right some of you might that's just going to be strange and we're going to pray for you but you're going to talk to me because i'm the reality there are many things in the bible that are types and shadows of a reality there's one reality. Everything points to Christ and God's desire for his spirit to live in man. Now, why am I sharing all of this? Because we're seeing Jesus talking about referencing to his, his body and the blood being spilled. And all of this points to something. John 10, 10. Let's go there. John 10, verse 10. And we're coming to close. John 10, 10. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I, this is Jesus talking, and it says, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. 
Jesus laid down his life for one ultimate purpose. For his life to become our life. His spirit to be united with ours. And give us eternal relationship with God. But as Jesus says here as well, life in its fullness until you overflow. God doesn't just desire for you to enjoy the Spirit of God in you. He desires for the Spirit of God to live through you. Not puddles of dormancy, but streams of living water. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 4 verse 14 and says, But if anyone drinks the living water, I give them. Remember, we talked about this last week in 1 Corinthians when it's talking about the Lord's Supper. It's talking about now through this cup and the wine, the covenant is sealed. That covenant being sealed was in reference to the spirit living man. Before Jesus was, or before the spirit of God was poured out as a drink offering, it was not possible for covenant to be sealed. Amen. The only way for you to have enjoyed a sealing and a sanctification was for you to have God's spirit live in you. And that is the sealing. That is the outpouring that the cup was a representation of. The outpouring of the spirit. And so when Jesus talks and he says, if you drink this water, it's talking about the Holy Spirit when you're partaking. Drinking and eating is often in reference to partaking, to enjoying something. So when you drink the water I give you, it becomes gushing fountain of what? The Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about everlasting life. We're talking about salvation. What is it? It's God's Spirit living in man. So whenever we read about the blood or the outpouring of, of, uh, or sacrifices, we need to understand that it's all pointing to Christ and everything was a, a type and shadow of something to come. So when it's talking about, when Jesus talks about my body being broken, when Jesus talks about my blood being spilled, he was always talking about God's purpose, God's plan for us to enjoy his spirit living in us and for us to enjoy the community of the believers. His body. This is his body. It's not a piece of bread. It's not a cracker. This is his body. When it's talking about his blood being poured out, it's not talking about a cup and wine or juice. He's talking about his spirit living in man. That is God's desire from the beginning of time for us to enjoy the fellowship of the believers and his spirit living in us and affecting all of us. Amen? Not just some of us. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Well, that's a good amen. You need to desire, we looked at this last week, when, when Paul writes, writes about, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't talking about the overconsuming of alcohol, but he's using a metaphor, and we lo looked at this last week. And God desires for you to have His Spirit have an effect on your life, for you not to stay the same. For Christ and after Christ needs to look this different. It can't look the same. For a lot of believers, it looks the same. The before Christ peer is the same as the after Christ peer. Or the before Christ marker is the same as the after Christ marker. Then you did not come to understand what Christ did for you and what the Spirit of God is inside of you. And that's why we're here together this morning. That's why we're partaking together of 
of, of good Bible teaching where we're receiving the word so that we receive instruction, so that we receive uh, uh, um, more clarity about God's plan and his purposes through the gift of teaching. Amen? But it needs to start with a desire because God isn't going to force himself on you. But it needs to start with a desire. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. Last scripture, John 5, 38 to 40. And you do not keep his message in your heart, for you do not believe in the one whom he sent. You study the scriptures. So Jesus is talking about to the religious, and he says, you're studying the scriptures because you think in them you will find eternal life. And these very scriptures speak about me. Yet you are not willing to come to me in order to have life. Jesus is life. Everything Jesus did for us was for us to enjoy life. And that life is through his death, the blood that was spilled. But it wasn't just through his death because he didn't stay dead. He was raised from, from dead to life. But he wasn't just raised from dead to life. I spoke to a, a specific uh, religious group of people uh, a while back, and it reminds me of the same illustration. Now, oftentimes people think that Mary having a, a virgin birth was just for the, the miracle power of God to be shown. That was a cool miracle, right? But if it was just a cool miracle, it's pointless. There was a point behind the miracle. There was a point behind the resurrection. We need to understand this because the significance lies in what did it all point to? Because when I'm traveling to Joburg, I want signs pointing me to. When I get to Joburg, do you need another sign that you're in Joburg? What signs are you looking for right now to point you to a reality that's already come? What signs and things are you trying to? Do to point you to a reality that's already here, right in front of you, right inside of you, Christ's Spirit, the living God. Let's stand together. Salvation is God's Spirit living in us and living through us. I'm going to pray for us. Let's stand together. Jesus came to perfectly make this a reality for all people. Everything we see in the Bible, every type, every shadow, every ritual, all points to Jesus and his spirit living in us. Once that has become a reality, I don't need any more signs, any more things pointing me to a reality that I'm enjoying. At one point, I knew my wife through Facebook. Now I don't know her through Facebook anymore. I know her in the reality, face to face. That is God's desire for us. To enjoy him face to face. No more hindrances. No more blockages. No more steps. To more mature Christianity. No, it's one step. And that one step makes everything that God desired from the beginning of time. A current reality for us. God's spirit living in us. We are living in the fullness of the finished work. There was a time when the finished work was not yet finished. But that time has passed. We are living in the reality of a finished work. God's promise, God's desire being a reality for all men to be saved, have his spirit live in them. And through that, enjoy intimacy that unlocks a greater 
knowledge of who Christ is. Let's not go back to visit Jesus when he walked the earth. Jesus desires to live through each one of us every day for the rest of our lives. We are God's address. Timothy and the guys going to Ukraine. That is Jesus walking in the flesh, the spirit of God in man, impacting the nation of Ukraine. The world needs the church. When I say the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about organization. The world needs the believers, the disciples of Christ to come to know what they have. Because we are the hope of the world. Because we carriers of the hope of the world. Jesus Christ, the spirit in man. If you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to visit us at one of our gatherings. To find out more, please contact us at info at or visit us at gracelife.co.